Tonight, a turning point in the quest for clean power, the nuclear fusion breakthrough. An extraordinary leap in a U.S. laboratory. One of the most impressive scientific feats of the 21st century. A crucial step towards limitless energy. Expanding the offensive against misconduct in the military. This time, it is different. The mission and the misgivings. The question is, will it stand the test of time? Plus, a robotic fleet and a North American first. People that need it will definitely like it. Self-driving wheelchairs now roaming Winnipeg's airport. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. We begin with an amazing discovery described as the holy grail of green energy, a milestone of nuclear fusion, allowing scientists to effectively bottle the sun. It's the first time it has ever been done in a laboratory anywhere in the world. Its potential is an endless supply of clean, cheap power without radioactive waste or fossil fuel emissions. CTV's John Venavelli Rao with the first phase of a dream for researchers, now becoming a reality. Scientists have long looked to the sun and the fusion reactions deep within it as a potential source of near unlimited clean energy. And now, after decades of research, a major breakthrough replicating it here on Earth. This milestone moves us one significant step closer to the possibility of zero carbon abundant fusion energy powering our society. The historic feat took place at a national lab in California where scientists fired almost 200 lasers at a tiny cylinder. Inside they fused or pushed together hydrogen atoms, heating and compressing them similar to what happens inside a star, creating a burst of energy. Indeed, they shot a bunch of lasers at a pellet of fuel and more energy was released from that fusion ignition than, than the energy of the lasers going in. And that is the key. The fusion reaction produced 50% more energy than the scientists put in. The first time such experiments have yielded a meaningful gain. And while it wasn't a lot of energy, it's a remarkable leap forward. They prove that the process by which we can amplify energy through the fusion reactions is indeed a viable way to try to make large amounts of energy. Unlike today's nuclear reactors, which split atoms, there's no long-lasting radioactive waste, and seawater can be used as a source of hydrogen isotopes. What's there not to love? Clean, efficient, no meltdowns. We're talking about using seawater as a basic fuel. Still, while the science is proven, scaling up and building reactors is seen as a monumental task, one that could take many decades yet. Our design is practical and cost-effective. Though a Canadian-based company has been working on a fusion demonstration plant that in part uses high-pressure pistons and has an ambitious goal. We will have our first commercial power plant on the grid in the early 2030s. And of course, as the world grapples with a growing population and climate change, an on-demand, safe and clean energy source that could be built anywhere can't come soon enough. 
Omar. Incredible discovery with major implications. John, thank you. And to take a closer look at this breakthrough, CTV science and technology specialist Dan Riskin joins us now. So, Dan, the key here, as John just mentioned, is that for the first time, scientists were able to engineer a reaction that produced more energy than it took to create it. Explain to us a little bit more about how it all works. The nuclear fusion on paper is really simple. A hydrogen and a hydrogen smushed together make a helium. And, you know, that is something that happens in nature all the time, but it always happens on the sun because you need a ton of pressure and heat to make the conditions where that happens. And so here on Earth, scientists have been trying to make that happen in a lab, giving tons of pressure, tons of heat. And yes, they've gotten fusion to happen before, but they've always been putting in more energy than they ever got out. That's the big advance that they're announcing today is that they've finally done it so that even though it took a lot of energy to make it happen, they still got more energy out than they put in. How would this be different from the nuclear power already in use? Yeah, this is nuclear fusion, which means you take two small atoms and you smush them together, as opposed to nuclear fission, which is what we use for power plants today, which is where you take a big atom like uranium and you break it apart. When you break apart an atom, you get nuclear waste as a byproduct. This fusion process doesn't make nuclear waste, so environmentally it's going to be a lot better. But the, the big take-home from this is that this is the actual power plants powered by fusion are still decades away. And so our path to green energy still goes through solar and wind and the technologies that are underway already. All right, Dan, I appreciate your breaking this down for us tonight. Thank you so much. The breakdown in Canada's health care system is pushing hospitals right across this country to the brink. And new data reveals just how desperate the situation really is. More than 41,000 Canadians have died while on a hospital wait list since April 2018, anywhere from less than a month to over eight years. Those deaths are at a four-year high. And as CTV's Heather Wright reports, the full extent of the crisis hasn't even been assessed yet. The number of Canadians dying while waiting for surgery is on the rise and expected to get worse. It's very crucial that governments, I think, spend more time thinking about the, the consequences from making people wait so long for health care. Data collected by SecondStreet.org, a public policy think tank, shows more than 13,000 Canadians died last year while on a wait list for surgeries, procedures and diagnostic scans like MRIs. Another 2.9 million are waiting for those crucial appointments. One of them is Barrett, who was born with a severe heart defect and needs surgery that keeps getting delayed. They say by six months, that's like, you know, that's when you're going to get the best outcome. So knowing he's 14 months and still hasn't got that surgery, I don't know what's going to happen. Hannah Braxma says her son is happy but isn't thriving. He crawls for a little bit. He'll just start panting and he might go a little bit blue. Like you can tell he's tired. And the longer people wait, the more their quality of life is impacted. For two years, Patricia Wilson has been waiting for a total pelvic reconstruction. She's in constant pain, but expects to wait at least another year. I would have never, ever guessed this could happen to me in Canada. Wait times and backlogs have been exacerbated due to COVID-19, but the problem existed long before. In 2016, Joan Hama's colon burst after she was left waiting for a colonoscopy. She needed to be resuscitated several times during surgery. The surgeon had indicated that 85% of the people don't make it through that. Um, I just about died through chemotherapy as well. While the federal government has offered more money to help with this current crisis, there are growing calls for more long-term change. With an aging population expected to keep stretching Canada's health care system. Omar. All right, Heather, thank you. 
A tragedy in Montreal tonight where police are investigating a hit and run that left a young girl dead. The seven-year-old was struck by a vehicle in a school zone and the driver fled the scene, leaving the seriously injured child on the road. She later died in hospital and police say a man in his 40s has now been arrested. A scathing report blasting the Canadian Armed Forces' rampant sexual misconduct and toxic culture prompted the defense minister to outline a roadmap on implementing all 48 recommendations in the report, but without a timeline. CTV's Kevin Gallagher reports. Demands for culture change in the Canadian Armed Forces have echoed without major action for decades. Today, Canada's defense minister is promising victims of military sexual assault this time will be different. My goal is to put in place the institutional reforms necessary so that cultural change can last. Anita Anand says she has an ambitious roadmap to implement all 48 recommendations from former Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbour, including the creation of a panel to review the culture at Canada's military colleges, send discrimination and sexual harassment complaints to the Canadian Human Rights Commission and transfer all investigations and prosecutions of sexual crimes to the civilian system. Law enforcement uh, agencies have argued that they do not have the proper training, they do not have the proper people, they do not have enough people, or they do not have enough time to deal with those cases. Sexual assault investigations have already been transferred outside the military justice system with limited success. Out of the 97 cases directed to civilian authorities over the past year, 41% were rejected. It's very obvious to me that those involved in that process are dragging their feet. Honestly, there's a lot of anger um, from survivors. Veteran Donna Rigadell alleges she was raped several times over her military career. She's skeptical things will change because she's been hearing that promise since 1997. We have to see results. We, we've been led down this path so many times and every time it's been heartbreaking. The defense minister did not give a budget or timeline for her plan, Omar, falling short of the concrete action demanded by survivors. Survivors who continue to carry an immense burden. Kevin Gallagher in Ottawa tonight. Kevin, thanks. Two former members of a Quebec junior hockey team and another young man have been charged with sexually assaulting a 15-year-old girl. The allegation is from 2016 in Drummondville. Two of the men who can't be named because they were minors at the time have pleaded guilty. The other person charged is Noah Carson, who is 18. He has a court date next June and is the son of former NHL veteran Shane Corson. A Canadian cardinal who is now a prominent Vatican official says he is suing a woman who accused him of sexual assault more than a decade ago when he was the Archbishop of Quebec. Mark Ouellette was named in a class action lawsuit this summer alleging that he inappropriately touched and made comments towards a woman when she was an intern in the archdiocese. Ouellette has denied the accusations and is seeking $100,000 in damages, which he says he would donate to Indigenous peoples. The former CEO of crypto giant FTX lost his bid for bail in a Bahamian court today following his arrest on eight criminal charges, including money laundering and conspiracy to commit fraud. U.S. prosecutors allege Sam Bankman-Fried intentionally deceived customers and played a major role in the firm's multi-billion dollar collapse. CTV's Washington Bureau Chief Joy Malbin has the details. Once the darling of the cryptocurrency world, a stunning fall from grace. Leaving a heavily guarded Bahamian courthouse, Sam Bankman-Fried was denied bail, deemed a flight risk, facing a slew of financial crimes.
This is one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. U.S. prosecutors allege the so-called king of crypto deceived his customers, treating their money, billions of dollars, like his own personal piggy bank. He then misused those funds to make undisclosed venture investments, lavish real estate purchases, and large political donations. At its peak, FTX had 2.7 million users telling everyone. promoted by celebrities. FTX is the safest and easiest way to buy and sell crypto. Even Canadian investor Kevin O'Leary vouched for FTX. Total deal was just under $15 million, all in. I think that's what I've lost. Investigating the crypto collapse, Congress heard from the new CEO, tasked with picking up the pieces. This is really old-fashioned embezzlement. This is just taking money from customers and using it for your own purpose. Not sophisticated at all. When it all came crashing down, he claimed innocence. I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. Investors lost billions and experts say it's unlikely if ever they'll get all their money back. This company was as close to the wild, wild west as it gets. Uh, there were no controls. There was no accountability. But truth of the matter is, is this is just a standard Ponzi scheme using technology uh, as a cover. If convicted of all the charges, Bankman Freed could face up to 115 years in jail. But first, he has to get here. His legal team plans on fighting extradition. His next court appearance isn't until next February. Omar? Joy Melvin in Washington tonight. Thank you. Millions across the U.S. are bracing for a brutal winter storm that has spawned violent tornadoes in parts of the country. The major system is also expected to bring up to 30 centimeters of heavy snowfall in parts of Saskatchewan, Manitoba and Ontario this week. Wind gusts as high as 210 kilometers per hour overturned cars, gutted homes, and knocked out power. Several were injured in Oklahoma and Texas. Some western states are expecting up to 60 centimeters of snow as the system marches east. Another liberal cabinet minister was called out today for breaking federal ethics rules by awarding two contracts to a friend she has known for nearly 20 years. CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver on the breach the opposition says is part of the government's pattern. Will the minister resign? Hours after the ethics report was released, the international trade minister was grilled in the House of Commons. I have taken and I am taking full responsibility for my actions. I should have recused myself. And I'm sincerely sorry for not having done so. At issue, two contracts for media training granted by the trade minister's office to the public relations firm Pomp and Circumstance. One in 2019 for $5,840, the other in 2020 for $16,950. The firm is owned by Amanda Alvaro, a former Liberal staffer who has helped Ng on the election campaign and describes her as a, quote, dear friend. For the Conservatives, this is another Liberal vulnerability, and you can bet your bottom dollar it'll be an attack ad uh, clearly focused on Justin Trudeau and his team and ethical problems. In his ruling, the Ethics Commissioner highlighted the two had known each other for 20 years. There is simply no excuse for contracting with a friend's company. Unfortunately, the Prime Minister has set the low standard and now his ministers are living by it. This kind of corruption, you know, not once but twice. 
In addition to Ng, former finance minister Bill Morneau broke federal ethics laws three times during the WE charity scandal. That was a year aggressive. In 2018, intergovernmental affairs minister Dominic LeBlanc broke the rules too, approving a business license for a company where a family member worked. Prime Minister, what discipline will Ng face? The Prime Minister has violated ethics laws twice. In 2017, when he vacationed on the Aga Khan's private island, and in 2019, over his role in the SNC-Lavalin scandal, when he tried to influence then-Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould. We thank the Ethics Commissioner for his hard work, and uh, the Minister spoke directly to that and has uh, uh, apologized in a statement. He's in a weird spot, too, to the extent that, what, he's going to throw somebody out of Cabinet because they they violated the Conflict of Interest Act when he's, he's found to have done so several times. The ethics commissioner found that Ng did not personally benefit from the contracts. The ruling itself, Omar, comes with no penalty. All right, Annie, thank you. Coming up, a World Cup bribery scandal. The story will not stop here. Allegations rocking the European Parliament. Plus, airport accessibility ready for takeoff. Massive floods and landslides have killed at least 120 people in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Dozens are injured. <laughs> Torrential rains submerged entire neighborhoods and cut off this main road that links the 15 million people living in the capital of Kinshasa to the rest of the country. A vice president in the European Parliament has lost her job after she was arrested in a high-profile corruption scandal. The Greek lawmaker is accused of accepting bribes from Qatar in exchange for praising the World Cup host and reportedly had bags of cash at her home. Here's CTV's Danielle Hamamjan. In the early days of the World Cup, Qatar's human rights violations were the subject of a debate in the European Parliament. One member's speech stood out. Today, the World Cup in Qatar is a proof, actually, of how sports diplomacy can achieve a historical transformation of a country. A Greek lawmaker not only praised its reforms, but warned against the EU lecturing the Arab country. They are good neighbors and partners. We can help each other to overcome the shortcomings. They achieved the impossible already. Thank you. Almost three weeks later, Eva Kaili, a socialist, was arrested along with three Italians accused of accepting bribes, allegedly, by the same country she used her position to defend. Prosecutors in Belgium today released a photograph of the cash found in a series of police raids. 150 a spokesperson said hundreds of thousands of dollars had been found in a suitcase in a hotel room, more than 200,000 in an apartment belonging to a member of parliament. Both the Gulf state and Kaili have denied any wrongdoing, while the European Parliament president has vowed to tackle corruption. I cannot predict where this will go, uh, but what I can say I fear, and this is in a general point of view um, after uh, our initial findings, is that the story will not stop here. Belgian prosecutors say they had suspected for more than four months that a Gulf state had been trying to buy influence in Brussels. The suspects will appear in court tomorrow. Danielle Hamamjan, CTV News, London. And at the World Cup today, Argentina became the first team to advance to Sunday's championship. Lionel Messi embraces his moment again. 
Superstar Lionel Messi's penalty kick gave Argentina the lead, and they never looked back, blanking Croatia 3-0. It was Messi's 25th career World Cup game, putting him in a tie for most ever appearances. The victory touched off celebrations in Buenos Aires. Argentina will meet the winner of tomorrow's match between Morocco and France. Changes to a favorite winter sport coming up after the break. Skate Canada redefines figure skating for a more inclusive future. Cheers erupted on the White House South Lawn today as the U.S. president signed into law a historic piece of legislation protecting same-sex and interracial marriages. Today's a good day. The Respect for Marriage Act repeals the earlier Defense of Marriage Act, which defined marriage as a union between a man and a woman and denied federal benefits to same-sex couples. There has been a bipartisan push to protect their rights ever since the Supreme Court overturned abortion rights in June. And Skate Canada today also made a push towards greater equality. The organization has redefined the term team for pairs and ice dancing to include any two skaters. The previous definition was one woman and one man. After the break, a high-tech boost to make air travel more accessible. Traveling during the busy holiday season can be a stressful experience for anybody, but an airport in Winnipeg is gearing up for the challenge with a North American first to give passengers with limited mobility a chance to move more freely. Here's CTV's Jill Makishan. Rolling past departure gates, a curiosity for some, is new accessibility for many others. An autonomous wheelchair that moves from check-in to the airline gate without a human hand. Winnipeg is the first in the entire continent to implement this groundbreaking technology as a full-time service. The wheelchair is designed by Will Inc. with collaboration by a former Winnipeg-based company, Scoot Around, technology that's been used in Japan for a couple of years now. Used in the airport and in also hospitals uh, since 2022. This is North America. This, this is, uh, you know, the idea of introducing electric mobility independence within any venue is, is something that, that, you know, is going to take some time. In Winnipeg, passengers are already on board. You just need to press what language do you want to use? Ellen Grant needed a push today. She's trying the self-driving wheelchair for the first time. If I had to walk from here through security and then to the gate where I have to go to, I wouldn't make it today. The wheelchairs are programmed to self-drive to security, then right to the departure gate. The wheelchairs are designed to stop if they encounter a person or bag in front. Technology to move around the object is not quite ready for a rollout yet. With four autonomous wheelchairs now moving through the airport, the future for accessibility is in motion. Jill Makishan, CTV News, Winnipeg. And that's a snapshot of this Tuesday. I'm Omar Sajdina. To all the smiley Muslims celebrating today, Salgira Kushali Mubarak. For all of us at CTV National News, thank you for watching. Good night and see you tomorrow.